For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. This is a House of L actual episode. I'm very much looking forward to you taking a listen to what it is I've got for you today. I always like talking with my brothers and sisters on the FM side of our business. I have questions about the future of the FM side of our business and whether it can sustain itself, but I love the DJs that I come into contact with, whether it's in our building where there are plenty of them because there's a bunch of radio stations that Odyssey has. There's The Score, there's XRT, there's US99, there's B96, there's 104.3 Jams. So I have the opportunity to talk with people in different genres of the radio business. And it's fun. It's fun. I also interact with them more than you would expect. Like, obviously, I interact with the people at the score. But I am often, can often be caught talking with Gabe from B96. Or talking with Kinsey from B96. Hanging out with Angie Domino, one of the producers over there. Talking to folks from Jam. Devontae Stone is always, you know, pointing his finger inside the studio and all that good stuff. And the XRT people, too. Now, I go back a little farther with the XRT folks than I do with everyone else. That's because I've been at the score since 1998. And back in those days, the score and XRT, the score is XRT's little brother. XRT has been around a really long time. And then the guy who owned XRT was like, what if we started a sports station? And they did. We were both diamond broadcasting. And we shared a space together. We were their loud, petulant little brother who loved sports. And we used to share the bunker together over off of Belmont and Cicero. And that's where I started to meet a lot of the people. And the the thing about XRT is it's rare that people leave it. And you'll hear with our guest this week that that is the case. He talks about that in great detail. But I've always thought that they do it. They do radio really well. What's the old Kentucky Fried Chicken saying? We do chicken right? Yeah, the the jocks at XRT, they do radio right. Their love of music is omnipresent. 
it's not just getting to the next song or the next bit or whatever. It's them telling you a story through music, and I think that that's one of the things that makes it a superior radio station to most radio stations in the country. Not Chicago, in the country. I forgot to mention my man Sonic. Shout out to Sonic over at 104.3 Jams. Kid is killing it all the time on multiple platforms. Ryan Arnold is a guy that I often, in the olden times, when it was cool to hang out with people, I would often run into him because we were doing similar shifts. So I'd be finishing my show, he'd be getting ready to start his show, or we'd be finishing our shows at the same time. And we would talk. We'd talk music, we'd talk sports. He'd ask me what I thought about certain things. I really like him. He's very smart, and you're going to find out that he has tremendous passion for music. Initially, when I hit Ryan up, it was because he was at Lollapalooza. And I wanted to talk with him about Lollapalooza, especially Lollapalooza inside of a pandemic, what that's, that's like. I'm glad that it evolved into a conversation about music and radio. There is conversation about Lollapalooza in here, and we talk about the history of Lollapalooza and all that. But we talk more about the history of XRT and what that radio station means to people and why it means so much. So I'm glad for you to meet my friend Ryan Arnold. You probably know him. He's one of the best DJs in Chicago, and he's on one of the best stations in the world, WXRT. So I'm glad that I was able to corner him (laughs) via Zoom. I was able to corner him, and he was nice enough to spend some time with me. So you can follow him on Instagram at Ryan Arnold Rocks. You can listen to him on WXRT, and today you can listen to him on the House of L podcast. Before we talk about Lala, when did you know that, like, music was going to be your ticket? Uh, The short answer is when I was nine years old and I saw my first concert. What was the first concert? It was R.E.M. at the uh, then Rosemont Horizon. Okay. Uh, But I was, yeah, nine years old. And I remember the, the concert was, it was on a weekday. And my mom said, all right. Couple of rules. We're staying to the end and you're going to school tomorrow. <laughs> so she wanted you to be a part of that rock and roll lifestyle. She was letting you know up front that if you play hard, you gotta work hard too. Yeah, that's it exactly. And uh, you know, I knew I think maybe a song or two in. This is it. I gotta be part of this. Wow. I gotta be part of this. What do you think struck you about it that made it that that created this passion for music? I don't, I've been asked that question before. And I think, I don't think it was a thing. Um, What stands out is how artists connect on such an intensely personal level with people they've never met before. And conversely, you know, I'm not going to ever meet whatever performer, but that music just strikes me. 
Uh, I think that was one of the biggest things. Uh, I remember vividly how everyone could sing along to every word of every song. It's like, I want, I want to be a part of that. Did it manifest itself in you picking up an instrument? It did. One of the best things my mom and dad ever did uh, was to stick a guitar in my hand when I was, I don't know, nine years old, 10 years old. Um, and yeah, did it. I've been playing guitar ever since. I mean, granted, I peaked when I was like 14, but, you know, it's still noodle around. All right. So wait, wait, wait. What do you mean you peaked at 14? Is that when you feel like you really had a grasp of what it was to play guitar? Yeah. My guitar teacher when I was in high school was the guitarist for Otis Rush. Uh, he played with Buddy Guy. He toured the, toured the world. And uh, his name is John Katke. He goes by Brother John. And uh, I got a chance uh, four or five years ago where I met him again. I hadn't seen him since I was in high school. And I got to meet him again. And uh, no joke, I found in an old guitar case, he had written out the opening licks to the Jimi Hendrix song, 1983, A Merman I Shall Turn to Be. It was just, it's, an, it's just an iconic song. It's like 19 minutes long on the Electric Ladyland record. And I got to say, like, I'm not, this is no jive. Like, you influenced me so much that I, 25, 30 years later, still have this thing. That's a dope artifact to have. Like, yeah. That's so it's, crazy. It's rock and roll, you know, when there's a certain subsect uh, or subset of uh, people who dig music, and you're one of them, where we crave it in a way that we crave air. It's not just another thing. It's not just something that we enjoy. It is so much a part of who we are as individuals you know, of course we carry that stuff with us. I've always been in awe of XRT. For, for people who are listening to this and they don't know, the score is XRT's little brother. The score is XRT's rambunctious, loud little brother who likes sports. That's who we are. But we were in the same building together. Like, I've been at the score long enough that I remember – it being the score and XRT over on Belmont. And I'm in awe of it for a lot of reasons. The, the love of music comes through with every personality that is on the air. It comes through with how the station is programmed. It comes through in the type of events. The radio FM stations throw all sorts of events. You know, you see a lot of big events that are done. The way that XRT does them they're done in a way that's super personal. So anyone who gets airtime at XRT to me is a gangster because to to break into that that place. And people a lot of people don't know this like when I started out in high school radio, like I had a music show. And so I have a lot of respect for DJs overall, but especially XRT and I know I'm kind of fanboying out right now, but as someone who gets to speak on XRT, why is it so special? You know how, in some way, shape, or form, everyone we meet throughout the day is uh, kind of acting. 
I don't mean in, a, in an insincere way. I just mean we've kind of got who we are at home and then who we are when we're out in the world, right? I feel comfortable speaking for my XRT colleagues. Normally I would just say, this is me talking, but I feel comfortable saying like who you hear and who you engage with on WXRT, that's us. We may sit up a little straighter. We may enunciate a little better when the mic's open, but that's us. Uh, one of the, the things that makes XRT so special is how it, it, unique it is. It's not jive. It's not jive. That's really us. Who you see is who you get. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. When did XRT become a dream for you? So I have an interesting origin story with WXRT, and it's uh, familial. Um, my mom and dad were both DJs in Southern Illinois. Uh, they went to uh, SIU, and they were at the college station, and then the commercial station, and uh, when they got married and moved up to Chicago, my mom's from here. My dad's not. Uh, dad went and got like a real job. Mom stayed in radio. Mom worked at WXRT in 1984. And she was there for about 17 years. So when I say it's familial, I, I don't just mean that it like my, you know, I grew up listening to it and I had a relative that worked there. I mean, like Lynn Bramer, <laughs> Terry Emmert. They've been at family functions since I was a kid. And Terry especially likes to remind people of that. I know Ryan when he was. It's, Thanks, Terry. It's my favorite thing that she says about me when she sees me. She'll grab me, and it doesn't matter who else is in the room. And she'll go, I have known this guy since he was a baby. Yep. And it's yeah. just, it's the warmest feeling ever. Yeah. To get that from her. Because... You know, I refer to her, she gets mad. I refer to her as the goddess. Like, she is, she's amazing. And people have no idea, like, how amazing she is. You're totally right. And then people, they meet her. They meet a lot of us on XRT and, you know, at concerts when, you know, we could go see more of them and, and events or even just, you know, I've had people come up when I'm having dinner and uh, engage and talk. And then they're like, wow, that's really like you. And like, yeah, that's kind of us. So, but to, I mean, to kind of answer what you were asking before, um, I knew I was going to be a part of WXRT in some way, shape or form. I was the guy that, you know, I was 16 years old and took an internship and I didn't leave until I was graduating college. You know, <laughs> He's back again. I'm like, hi. No, I have uh, Patty Martin, who was our music director for many, many years. Uh, will still kind of joke and say, you reorganize the CDs in my office once a week. <laughs> just like, just showing up. Uh, but that being said, you know, I, I left Chicago. I went to Columbia, Missouri after college and worked for a group of radio stations. I was in Madison, Wisconsin for a few years. And uh, when I came back to Chicago, I was, I was out of the business for a while. And it wasn't until uh, the rare thing at XRT happened, which is attrition, you know, people just moved up and moved on that a couple overnight positions opened up. Now, the program director at the time, Norm Weiner, has been a lifelong friend for the reasons I just told you. Uh, and I remember calling him when there was a position open up and I applied for it and uh, I didn't get it. And uh, I don't want to say I was surprised I didn't get like I, I didn't because I didn't think like I'm entitled to that. not at all. I just went like, wow, the, you know, I got out of my game. So when there was another opportunity to come back around, uh, my A game was there, and and I got and I and I got the job. 
but it was for a couple nights a week doing overnights. It was eight years ago. And just as things move and change and people moved on or wanted to do different things with their lives, you know, that's what kind of enabled me to, to slide into the, you know, the, the slot I've been in now for seven years. The authenticity that you're talking about when it has to do with XRT, I think is something that sets it apart from every radio station in Chicago and probably most radio stations around the country. Why do you think it resonates with the audience? Because, you know, I worry about FM. I worry about it because it's easy to do in one place. It's easy for there to be, okay, well, here's a company that owns 10 stations across the country. Whoever's doing the music for that top 40 station in Chicago or in New York could probably do it across the country. XRT kind of stands alone. And I actually had some friends on the urban side of radio on FM that grouse at the idea of not bringing along new younger talent and everything being syndicated and and it's it's scary to a lot of people who work in fm xrt seems to be one of the last bastions where djs get to not just play music select music and talk about music so there's a couple of things the authenticity is that it's authentic um there's a band I was, it was early on in my tenure here and uh, I was on the air. They were coming to the radio station to do a private performance for a handful of listeners. I remember it was a weekend and uh, they were coming at a time when I was on the air, I couldn't go see the thing, but like the band that they were playing Lincoln hall, small little club in, in, uh, in Lincoln park. And uh, I said, you know, strand of Oaks is the band. And I said, strand of Oaks is, is at Lincoln hall tonight and, you know, handful of tickets left and, you know, go see him. I'll see you there. Play the song. Sometime later, someone at Lincoln Hall called me. Hey, just want to let you know the show sold out. Thanks a lot. Sold our last tickets. So wow. I went back on the air and, you know, said something like, hey, if you didn't scoop up tickets, well, you're out of luck. And it wasn't jive. It was authentic. So fast forward a couple hours later, uh, lead singer from Strand of Oaks outside the studio door they just finished their thing knocks on the door opens it up hi how are you and he gives me a big bear hug guy I'd never met before and he said we found out our show sold out when you said it on the radio mm. okay you know yeah there are so many uh places that you and i anyone who who, who wants to listen to music we can get our audible entertainment but where are you going to get that? It's a human connection. It's a, it's a person to a person. I've never heard, I've never been around when someone uh, uh, says, shut up, my song's coming on the streaming service. But I have been there when it's shut up, the DJ's playing my, my record. I have been there and seen that. So you, you were asking just kind of about FMs and, and, and you know, why it's important to have you, know, you and me uh, and it is, it's, we're playing music for people who dig music and, and no algorithm can replicate that. The storytelling aspect of XRT and the storytelling aspect of music, I also find fascinating that I think that people have, I, I hate to come down like as judgmental and like get off my lawn, um, but I have always felt that 
that's something that XRT does so well and that, quite honestly, other stations could do if they want it. But it, it takes the work of the producers and the, the jocks to know some of these stories and know how to tell these stories to, to create that sense of community that you were talking about. Where does that come from? That is, to use the A word again, it's authentic. Um, look, you know, we have, I'll speak for me. I definitely have the gift of gab. I get it. And I like telling a good story. But when it's a story of something that actually happened, when it's the story of something that is relatable, uh, that's where the excitement comes in. I'm not reciting lines or, I think this is a good zinger that'll land. You know, it's actually understanding how to present a story. Uh, so there's a bit of, I guess you could say acting involved, you know, just understanding how to deliver, uh, you know, to deliver a story that's compelling, that's concise. One of my, um, one of my first program directors, and I think I was 21, 22 years old, said, uh, figure out what you're going to say in 30 words. Okay. Now say it in 20. Mm -hmm. Uh, this goes back to something you had asked about earlier about kind of what's, you know, kind of what makes XRT unique. Uh, I don't think other than like my mom and dad, people tune into WXRT to listen to Ryan Arnold. I, it's not false modesty. I don't think they do. What I do think they tune into WXRT for is what they've expected for coming up on 50 years it is an unmatched music library. It is people who live and breathe the music, who have experienced it in ways that are relatable and that might not be, uh, that can turn you on to things you would never be turned on to if it weren't for an actual human being saying, Lawrence, I really think that if you like this band, trace it back, you might like this, okay? That being said, it is absolutely my responsibility to not give anyone a reason to leave. And I think a quick way to do that is to make to make it about me because it's not it's about the music and it's about the listener choosing to spend their time with wxrt the best way i know how to respect that decision and to to, to thank them for it is to shut up keep it brief play another record what type of storytellers musically do you like in terms of uh Artists? Yeah. Like, well, who are the artists that you feel like can paint pictures with words and sounds? That, that is an incredible question. Paint pictures with words and sounds. The first one that comes to mind, uh, a, a current-ish band, is Lord Huron. Uh, if John Steinbeck was fronting a band, it would be Lord Huron. Uh, you listen to any one of their records from start to finish. And it's an, it's a novel. It's an incredible story. And it is a story. Um, but, and that's an example of just being, you know, master wordsmiths and killer musicians. Uh, one of my favorite bands of all times is the clash. And there's an example of like, it's three and a half minutes and it tells you everything you need to know. Uh, Joe Strummer, he, you know, he could turn a phrase like nobody else. Uh, and has has the clash song has the ability to tell a story in three and a half minutes and you know exactly this you know beginning middle and end uh, so two opposite ends of the spectrum and you know opposite ends of the kind of like 
the the musical library, uh, musical universe. Uh, yeah, Lord Huron and the Clash. Those are the two that come to mind. How was your Lollapalooza experience? Uh, it was strange in that it was my first big live music event, as it was for so many since um, I think my last show before it shut down was March. Yeah, it was Toronto Cannon at Fitzgerald's on I think March thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth, Saturday the fourteenth. Yeah, 2020. that's it's funny how like everything kind of goes back to that because I had just gotten back from spring training, and you know it was it's yeah. so weird. Like I I got back, I had talked to Joe Madden out in out in Arizona because he was managing the the Angels now, and I rolled up on him and he was surprised to see me and he you know gave me a tour and it was awesome. And I remember coming back, I did a show, I did a, a TV show for NBC, and then it was like silence. Yeah. And we were watching, you know, the NBA shut down, the college basketball shut down, baseball being like, ah, we're going to see how this goes, and then shutting itself down. Yep. For the music scene, I, I can't imagine that, I, like, I, it's hard for me to even think about, like, conceptually, what it was like for venues and artists to not be able to go do their thing. You know, when you were just saying about like, we watched this happen and then we saw that happen and they followed suit. It wasn't like that in music. Friday, the, the truly Friday, the 13th. You're on Saturday, the 14th, you're off. You know, these venues, they were shut down. Uh, with no idea if and when they could reopen. Their staffs were laid off, fired for no reason of their own. Um, and it's scary. It still is scary. Uh, I mean, yeah, to come back, a world without live music. And in Chicago, where, I mean, it's the, ep <laughs> it's the epicenter of our cultural universe, uh, is the music community, the music scene. That's why people you know, come here and they don't leave. Mm. Um, it was ter it was really scary, Lawrence. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but you you ask about how Lollapalooza was. The weirdest thing for me were some moments. It was like nothing was happening. You're watching music on a stage, and the artist is connecting in that way you remember, and the crowd is going nuts, and you're like, "This is yes, it's." And then you turn around and go, "Oh, right, this is different." There is social distancing in that area there are these um precautions being taken here or tried to enforce here you know that was weird um that's when you're reminded like yeah this thing ain't over not yet uh, no uh artists one of the no things i noticed and miley cyrus who uh played uh the first night uh she said it from the stage like she's realized like this is not about me the performer this is about you and connecting with you and i think a lot of artists have figured that out through the whole pandemic that it's so imperative to connect with fans on a sincere and genuine level. You know, we, we you, you've said this, I'm sure, and been asked this question too, what, what's it like to meet so-and-so? And you realize, well, they're just like a person like you and me. Well, this is another example. It's like that artist, just a person like you and me mm. who lost their job. And it doesn't matter if they're a superstar or if there is someone that's playing, you know, whatever bars four nights a week and has a day job. They lost their gig and they need to connect with their community.
they all had, and I had to do the same way, uh, do it the same way. So to put them in front of people, unbelievable. Another thing about Lala, uh, there were so many artists. I was astounded. More than 55 artists playing that weekend was either their first time playing live. What? Swear to God. Or their first time playing uh, to a, a, a crowd that large. A potential to be that large you know you're playing at a bar and you know there's 50 you know 50 people can be there cool then you're playing on the you know the the grove stage under the shade and it can be oh my god there's people they keep flowing in because there's you know there can be four thousand people in front of your show just as you know people walking by and they like what they hear uh yeah that was really uh, stunning to me without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I went to the third, right? The 93 Lollapalooza. I was a freshman in college, and I grew up out south. You know, I grew up on the south side and went to high school in the south burbs. I didn't know anything about the north side, and I knew very little about downtown, to tell you the truth. I was at DePaul. I had a great summer there, and friends were like, there's this thing. We should go. <laughs> and I, I remember going down to Lollapalooza, and I'll never forget this part. On the Lincoln Park campus, we went down to Lollapalooza. We hung out all day. We watched music. I don't even remember who we watched in 93. But I do remember that we could not get the L back to Lincoln Park. It was so packed. Like, you go down into the, the, the red line, and train after train went by, and you weren't able to get on it. We ended up walking back. To campus, like we walked up Clark Street all the way back to Lincoln Park from downtown, and ever since then, I've always wondered because I'm not big for crowds. That's my own issue, my own levels of anxiety with crowds. But why is it that Lollapalooza, over these thirty years, has been able to really capture the imagination of music lovers? And not just Chicago, because I've seen people fly in all over the place to to be a part of this. Lollapalooza, and if you saw it in 93, I was messing around on my phone. I wasn't, um, I wanted to show you this. I, I wish I still had it, but if you can kind of see it, I found this. Is it your badge? No, it's a handbill from Lala <laughs> in 1992. <laughs> So you were a freshman in college. I was a freshman in high school when I first saw my or saw my first Lollapalooza. And I, I tell you that to tell you this. When you look at who was on the bill in 1992, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Ministry, Ice Cube, Soundgarden, the Jesus and Mary Chain, Pearl Jam wow. and Lush. That was it, right? Wow. That's a diverse lineup, right? And uh, Pearl Jam had just broken, like literally just broken. The record had 10 had come out six, eight months prior to that. So uh, 
it's diverse. How does it continue to capture the appeal of music lovers from around the world? They've never stopped being diverse, being inclusive. I feel that Lollapalooza did a really good job with what they had to work with, to give anyone who wanted to see live music, anyone who wanted a festival experience, a reason to come to Grant Park, at least for a day. I really believe that. It's evidenced by all the new music. It's uh, evidenced by the throwback bands. You know, Journey and uh, uh, Jimmy Eat World, you know, those. If you want to come see music, come on down. So they've kept it going because it's diverse. You know, it's always been inclusive and it's always been welcoming. You brought up new music. And I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget to ask you about it. What's your mechanism for new music, new music discovery or new artist discovery? One of my favorite questions to ask friends, people who that I connect with, what are you listening to? What do you like? What's turning you on? It's how I've discovered some very cool music. Some of it makes it to the radio. Some of it makes it no farther than in my ear a couple of times. But you ask, what's turning you, what's turning you on? Uh, and, and who doesn't like to be asked their opinion on things, right? Agreed. Things they're passionate about. Uh, I like to show up. I like to go and catch opening acts. You know, the, the, referred to as the down card. You know, who else is playing? Who's the support? Um, I'm trying to think of, of like an example. I saw Alice in Chains, you know, if you want to talk, throw back to the nineties open for Primus wow. and yeah, at the Aragon and Alice in Chains was, you know, uh, it was almost a religious experience for me, you know, seeing that kind of pow raw power on stage. Uh, but that's an example, you know, Oh my God, the opening egg. I don't want to say they upstaged. The, 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 I don't mean that at all. I just mean like, the, I didn't show up at doors you know early i never caught that yeah you were like this is a thing you know I, this right here is, is a thing and it's gonna be a thing 100 percent. yeah that's what I, I do like i like to ask i like to show up uh i want to go back to, to to lala really quick as far as long as i can remember lala being at grant park which would have been 2005 was when it came to grant park as a destination uh show right uh there's been one stage in particular and it it, it backs up to lake uh, lakeshore drive it's the bmi stage they curate it and that's where you find they'll find artists like who lady who lady gaga okay whatever we'll throw her up first time lady gaga played Lollapalooza was on the bmi stage for 400 people swear to god wow yeah uh, and can you imagine that? I mean, just really, can you imagine that? It's so funny about Lady Gaga, because I remember, I, I remember being in Vegas, and you know the the music scene in Vegas, L.A., Vegas, Phoenix is different than Chicago. Sure. And so, and you know, still at the time, like we aren't really into streaming. We aren't, and I, I. They kept playing, like, the radio stations in Vegas kept playing Gaga's first single. And I'm like, what is this? Why, why do they keep playing it? And then, of course, a couple months later, 
I'm hearing it in Chicago, and I'm like, I, I heard this artist in Vegas, and, and now she's the biggest thing in the world. And it's crazy how that type of stuff happens. Well, and sometimes it's just about a radio station taking a chance. Taking a chance. Ah, there's something about this band. I don't know. Lady Gaga. Uh, you know what? We're going to throw what we got behind her because I think there's something there. It's an example. That's the power of real live local radio. I agree. Stations all over the country have stories like that. We've got them. I mean, you know, there's, it's all on the walls. Like you walk around <laughs> SRT, those stories are up on the walls. Yeah. Um, we're running out of wall space there's, over here, Lawrence. There's actually, yeah, we really are. They're kind of, but it's really nice because then we can go through and eh, I'm gonna swap this out for that. I, I it's, it's the artwork. It's when I would bring back in the olden times, it was my favorite part of the tour of our building. You know, people that, that want to take a tour with me, like they want to, they want to see the score, you know, they mm-hmm. want to. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. When we go up to the 10th floor and you're going to walk around XRT, you're going to be like, how are you guys in the same radio family? Yeah, I will say this about the score and uh, you are my friend. And I, I, I also respect you very much as a broadcaster and a journalist. Uh, and that was Lynn Bramer that just walked by, yep, by the way. That happens. <laughs> my, my softball uh, coach. Uh, wow. We, that's, a, that's a story for off the camera. I got to hear that one. <laughs> uh, no, he but quoted he, Othello in our pregame speech on Monday. Cause it's Lynn not, not surprising. Not did he full costume too? No, Probably. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him for the playoffs. To, to <laughs> you know, he's got up, he's got up his game when yeah. you guys are, uh, you know, going going for the cup. Absolutely. Uh, the um, y- you know, you are kind of like we are. You know, sports isn't just something you talk about. You're not reading box scores. You're as passionate about sports as I am about a record. Mm-hmm. And that comes through too. Yeah, uh, so many. Uh, I don't. I think calling calling you personalities on the score. I, I think that's a dis. That, that's a disservice to refer to you as personalities. You're not. You are. I don't know what the step above that is. Uh, but you have the ability of me. I. I really. I mean, sports are kind of on the bottom of my list. But I'm interested when I listen to the score. Uh, so you had asked earlier about some of the storytelling. Uh, being authentic and being relatable, um, it's it, it transcends. You know what I mean? It's it's about uh, uh, just connecting with your audience, knowing who your audience is, and providing a, a forum that's welcoming, that's inclusive. You got me thinking of an idea, something I want to do on the score. That's what I'm writing down. Um, when it comes to live shows. Who blew your mind? I think the first time I saw the Grateful Dead, and I was young, I was in high school, and my dad took me. Um, I thought it was the greatest con in the world, and later found out that the joke was on me. I can, I thought I convinced my dad to take me and two of my high school friends to go see the Grateful Dead. Little did I know he was probably going to go to the show anyways. So, you know. Um, but I just remembered my mind was blown at the dead. Um, I think that the fir- re- 
when I saw Megan the Stallion at Lala, could not believe it. Just that I, I don't know that I've seen an artist who had a crowd in her hand the way she did. Uh, that was, that's a, a recent example. Uh, then there are some, um, you go, wow, that was really cool. And it's not until some time passes, as you, do you look back and go, wow, I got to see, you know, Jack White play the Auditorium Theater, or uh, there's a, a, a musician out of Australia who, who has flown under the radar for, I don't know, seven, eight years named Courtney Barnett. I got to see Courtney Barnett play Shubas. Now she's headlining, you know, the big stage at Pitchfork a couple years ago. Uh, you know, she'll sell out two nights at the Chicago Theater. I got to see her at Shubas. You know, that's very cool. But you don't realize how cool it is until you've got something to compare it to. Which musical artist's death hit you the hardest? Bowie, David Bowie. Why? Um, the way I found out, uh, I mean, let's just face it, David Bowie has done more to shape the kind of music that I like than any other artist. He remains relevant long after he's passed. Uh, but one of the reasons that it hit me hard was because, uh, well, two reasons. A, a week before he died, he released a record um, called Black Star. And uh, he didn't realize until after he died, it was his swan song. It was his, I'm saying goodbye. And uh, I know the producer, which is privileged to have been able to, I don't think he could p- pick me out of a crowd, but you know, I've met him and we've shared a meal and that's a very cool thing. And I had texted him when I played the record. I was the first one to play the record on XRT. So congratulations. This is beautiful. We really can't wait to see it live. He responded, thanks very much. And then he dies. Uh, it was late at night, which means it was early in the morning in the UK. And there was a tweet from an unverified account, uh, but it was Bowie's son, Duncan. And he's, you know, my father's passed away. And like, nah, I don't think. But I remember I had gotten off the air at you know, midnight and I was home and I was up and it was one, two in the morning. And I had to call and wake up the morning show to call my boss and say, David Bowie died. I had to deliver that news. And it sucked to be the one to tell, you know, your friends. Uh, you talk about uh, the connection that we have with music. It's also with some of the musicians. It's some of the artists. It's not, um, it's not grandiose to say like, some of these people are our friends. They are. So to be able to, you know, I got to, I'm glad you're hearing this from a friend, Lynn, because one of our, you know, friends has died. Uh, that's kind of why it hit me, hit me hard the way I found out. Uh, Prince was another one because that was just so out of the blue. I remember that was one of the first. And Tom Petty, mm-hmm. uh, because those two were like, well, that was preventable. You know, and it was almost kind of like you're angry, not at them, but at, at, at the people who you know, allegedly did not help when they could have. 
it kind of goes back to just the personal connection. They're not just artists. They're not CDs on a shelf or records on a wall. They're, they're people. Jeez, Lawrence. I mean, you kind of got me well enough thinking. About this. <laughs> hey man, I, I told you, this is what I do is I, I like to talk to people about the things that they are passionate about before I let you go. And you've been super generous with your time and I appreciate it. Where's a good place for someone to start musically? Like if you were trying to draw a map for someone who likes music, but doesn't know music, where would you tell them to start their journey? Give me, give me an example of what that individual, like what would that kick them to ask that question? That individual, that individual likes music, but doesn't have a real good appreciation of where styles came from. So like, okay. let's say they like Megan the Stallion, for example, or let's say that they like Sam Smith, but they want to understand, oh, all right, this style came from somewhere. Yeah. Where, where would you start them on a journey to be like, hey, you know what's a good place to, to, to get a, a real understanding of music? I would take my father's approach, okay? Two favorite bands, The Clash and The Grateful Dead. And sometimes I tell that to people, they're like, oh, that, what? How could you get farther apart? Here's why. I go see The Grateful Dead with my dad. And they close the show with, I fought the law, right? A very Bobby Fuller for, you know, traditional, upbeat kind of, I fought the law. But it was so cool. And I said that to my dad. And he said, if you like that, you should check out The Clash version of it what and that was it that's how i found the clash was because of my dad saying if you like the grateful dead you might like this and and it's it's a very different version and the meaning <laughs> the meaning of it for the clash yeah. while i i would say that the sentiments are probably the same but the the meaning and the volume of of the clash singing no I fought the law. Yeah. yeah, These are four kids from a, a really bad part of London who literally fought the law yes. when they were kids. You're totally right. You're absolutely right. But I would say that's the way to do it. Look, something is going to work it backwards. And dad is still good to this day for that. Oh, you like this? Well, check this out. And before you know it, you're five steps away. And you're like, how did I get to a Buddy Miller record? How did I get to this? <laughs> what? See, I was. We started with something rocking, and now I've got a folks. Say, what did you do? How did you do that? But you go, okay, I get it. Yeah, uh, Rolling Stones is a good example. I mean, those iconic licks that Keith Richards wrote for, you know, the Sticky Fingers record. Go back to Chuck Berry. Right. Now it's a little easier connection to make, but you know, wow, it goes back to a Chuck Berry riff from 1954. When I was a kid growing up and DJing, like I, this worked for me. Like, I love License to Ill, you know, and as I've matured and the Beastie Boys started to mature, I, I now understand that was a schmaz. Like, that was an act that they were doing, and the later records were more representative of who those guys were. But at the time, when you're listening to License to Ill, I'm like, man, that, that is, that, that drum beat, that bass line is crazy. Like, where did that come from? You're like, 
Oh, when the levees broke. Oh, okay. So then you go, oh, now I like Led Zeppelin. And then you work your way back and go, oh, I clearly like every blues record that's ever been made if I like Led Zeppelin because of their connection to the blues. You know, there's something, um, Clyde Stubblefield is the drummer. For James Brown. The funky drummer is the most sampled drummer in music. Swear to God. And uh, he has a signature you know, drum beat. The Beastie Boys used a lot. Uh, Beyonce uses. She did a the the, the Lemonade record. Um, this is one of the coolest coolest things in the world. Lawrence is to say uh, Beyonce on XRT. <laughs> Jack White <laughs> produced it, and he took when the levee breaks. He took two drum beats and sampled it. You knew it was. When the levee break, you knew it just from those two beats he sampled. You know, but again, what you're saying is like, yeah, now go back. Like, now I dig Zeppelin. Okay, well, where did they go? Well, Zeppelin started as a real tried and true uh, blues band. All right, well, we go back to that. And I'm into the Yardbirds. Where do the Yardbirds come from? Now I'm into the animals. And now I'm going back to, oh my God, it's Elvis Presley. Right. Yeah, you pick what you like and go, let's work it backwards. And it's not hard to do. Who influenced, you know, who influenced this artist? You know, you find any interview, they'll be pretty forthright about it, right? And you go back and you find that. Uh, I have people, it's one of the coolest things. Like I do interact, like people have asked, like, do you, are you really uh, running your social media? Are you really on Twitter? It's like, yeah, it's really me. And I've had people ask, you know, what, what was that song that you played? It's like, oh, it's this. And, you know, I probably could just answer the question, but it's, uh, no, here's who it was. And, and here's a link to their record. And, oh, and this is this live show that they did. And somebody put it up on YouTube and you can watch that and check out this interview that, you know, yeah, that's how you find out about music. And then you're down the rabbit hole. It's off to the races. Man, this was a delight. This was a delight. This is you and me in the hallways, man, when we could both be in the I agree. In the building together. No, you're right. Like, this is exactly <laughs> what happens when we're in the hallway talking about all sorts of stuff. But I'm glad that we could put it into a nice, uh, presentable gift wrap box for people. Yeah. So they can they can enjoy it, man. And I'm I'm hopeful. I got my fingers crossed that things will normalize and stabilize and that those venues that we all love will open back up. Those people that we talk to every day that have jobs in those venues will have an opportunity to get their jobs back. And then people will get a chance to enjoy live music because it it does something to you to see things live. A lot of those venues have um, a lot of venues have opened back up in one way, shape or form. But, you know new restrictions are being put in place and you know we're covering our faces again and yeah let's hope that it stays let's hope that it does continue in the direction that it needs to go and not the direction that it's been going facts yeah thanks for this man you're welcome lawrence it's good to see actually see you even if only uh through zoom yeah yeah i'm i'm around but i i kind of duck and hide but I kind of do. I kind of duck and dodge, but I'm making my way back. And um, I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship and your your expertise, man. 
it's really good to talk with someone who cares so deeply about musicianship and artistry and being a good broadcaster and being a good storyteller. Like those things are things that I'm drawn to as a listener, as a consumer. And so when I see it, I'm like, yeah, you, you have to gravitate towards those sorts of things. Thanks for saying that, man. It's always good to talk to you. I was really glad to really glad when you messaged about doing this. I was looking forward to this. It's even better than I expected, man. Go on with the rest of your day. I, I appreciate you. Anytime, Lawrence. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. I'll see you later. See A wonderful conversation with Ryan Arnold of WXRT, man. I, I love the music education that we all got in listening to it. I love the history of Lollapalooza. And if you couldn't figure it out by listening to the episode, when it comes to the, the DJs at XRT, I just, I adore them. I think they're so good at what they do. And they've been quite the blueprint for how to do radio better. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, how do you do sports radio better? But how to do radio overall better. And I give them a lot of credit because everyone who I've come in contact with at XRT has been more than kind to me. And if I've had questions about how to go about doing the job better, I've been able to ask questions of Johnny Mars and Lynn Bramer and Terry Himmert and Ryan Arnold, whomever, there's never been a time when I haven't had a chance to talk with the people there. And it's been wonderful to be a part of the radio legacy of the score and XRT being connected. So I thank Ryan Arnold. I appreciate him for spending that much time with me on the podcast. The next time that you and I talk, there's going to be some announcements made about what we're doing as far as what happens in football season. So stick around for that, along with talking with some of the more interesting people in the sports media business. Have a terrific rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I highly recommend if you've been listening, please go listen to the episode of Sports Adjacent. Mayo on your mustache is the name of it. Trust me, you will love the episode. I promise you. I am a special guest on that pod. And I thank you for your support of all of the podcasts that we have underneath the House of L umbrella. I'll talk to you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.